Hello, friends. Have you noticed that you can get caught up in consuming content? Or maybe you notice you are hyper, hyper focused on the doing. Empaths, we often consume. And I know because that was me too, soaking up information from all my favorite teachers and mentors. But it wasn't until I started focusing more on the being and embodiment work that the door to massive clarity was finally unlocked. And I no longer got confused about what was my energy versus everybody else's. I was able to become a more clear channel for creation and as a result, transform my life, business, and health. In fact, my meditation and embodiment practice is what helped me have a nearly $40,000 month this past January, see the highest downloaded month of the podcast, and finally release a lot of unnecessary stress. And my clients felt it and saw it in their lives too. It wasn't reading more articles. It wasn't doing more busy work. So I'm inviting you to graduate from the spongy empath consumer into the self-activated sovereign healer. You can take your podcast listening experience from, ooh, I feel seen, heard, and inspired to, holy shit, I actually feel different. My being has shifted. I am the embodiment of the woman I desire to be. The Third Eye Collective is a simple way to upgrade your experience and commit not only to a meditation practice that complements your healing, but also receive personalized coaching so you can be clear on what direct actions to implement into your highest goals. There are two simple ways to get involved at $11 or $22 a month with no commitment. So if this is calling your name, join this amazing and growing community. Welcome to the Uncensored Empath, a place for us to discuss highly sensitive energy, illness, healing, and transformation. My name is Sarah Small, and I'm a life and success coach for empaths who want to create a thriving body, business, and life. Think of this podcast as your no BS guide to navigating life, health, and entrepreneurship. You'll get straight to the point, totally holistic tips from me in real time as I navigate this healing and growth journey right beside you. This is a Soul Fire production. Today's guest is Tiffany Louise. She is a professional coach specializing in cognitive and behavioral change. It was such a pleasure to have Tiffany on for this conversation today. We really talked about a lot of things, including moving through fear, releasing control, the shadows that are surfacing, relationships, how to have a healthy emotional bank account, navigating triggers. And of course, narcissism and empaths. So I know you guys are going to love today's episode. Let's dive right in. Tiffany, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you on today. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to meet you. Happy to be here. So I was just telling you that when I first connected to you on Instagram and then Kelly made the introduction so we could really meet here on this call that when I first saw your content, I just really resonated with a a lot of what you have to say. And there was a post that stood out to me and it said, you can't have healthy emotional bank accounts with people who make more withdrawals than deposits. And to me, this really embodies the energy of the empath and managing energy, managing the give and the take, the withdrawal and the deposit. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, for sure. And and as someone who identifies as as an empath, as a highly sensitive person and who has worked to heal the codependency that can be attached to that 
that way of being in the world, I learned how important having somebody who invests equitably in a relationship, it doesn't have to be equal, but it has to be this sort of water wheel of like you're pouring in and I'm pouring in. And, and I existed um, in relationships from, for many years where I was the main investor. I was making the deposits into the bank account and I was operating under the expectation that, that people will be me. If I show up that then it will be reciprocated. And I've learned that it, it's, that's not the case. Um, if you give in excess all that will happen is people will learn to anticipate that from you. It doesn't equal reciprocity. And so many of the clients that I work with are coming to me where they've been investing and investing for years and they're not getting the ROI to Mm -hmm. continue on that like bank account analogy. And they are almost sitting there shaking like the other person, like wake up and give back to me instead of accepting. And so um, I believe that the slower we are in, the beginning of a relationship, the more that we can see over time, someone's natural method of give and take. Mm-hmm. And then we get to decide if that works for us. Because for those of us who are identifying as empaths, as highly sensitive people, I believe that we have to be super cautious about who we have in our inner circle, because it's so easy for us to overinvest um, that we really have to make sure that we, we're drawing in people who, who inherently want to get It seems like there are especially so many women who, I mean, I guess my question is, where did we learn this? But it seems like so many of us are born with or have been programmed to or conditioned to nurture and give and give and give. And I can even, I mean, going back to my very first relationship, my first relationship, which was a six-year relationship from eighth grade to my sophomore year of college. And I spoiled the shit out of this man. I, I'm in many ways mothered him and he's mm-hmm. actually still a friend today. I still love him, but uh, that relationship wasn't the most balanced dynamics or like you were saying, equitable. So where do we get this like programming to feel like we have to give, give, give bef- before we receive or give more than we receive? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think... You know, nature, nurture, 50-50-ish is what they sort of generally say. But I have been really researching this a lot more. I'm creating a relationship course. And where does it become pathological? Where does it become that we've learned it and it's problematic and it's from a family system? And where is it biological, right? Like if if we think about the difference between a, a male brain and a female brain, as you said, you see this with a lot of women, testosterone and estrogen, they're two very different experiences. And I think for women, uh, you know, the research that I do on the ways in which historically we've had to protect and provide for and our safety and our okayness was in our ability to be pleasing right? If I am pleasing to you, you will take care of me. If I'm pleasing in the community, I will have protection and, um, you know, connection that keeps me safe that I will, you know, gather with, that I will rear children with. We are not isolated people in terms of our survival. We, We need one another. And so it makes a lot of sense that some of these tendencies to, now that we look at it in this light of overfunctioning, um, because we're not in survival in the ways that we were hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so I, I think it's, it's a, it's a fine line of saying how much of this is because, you know, I, I'll have clients be like, am I ever going to get to the point where I don't feel tense if someone's distant? And I'm like, I don't know, might not. That might be somewhere deep in your amygdala. They don't have a whole lot of research on that area of the brain or they need more. <laughs> that's set that is really tuned to your environment because that's what keeps you safe and alive mm -hmm. and is going to notice when someone you are connected to for your survival in your mind is off. So I think it's a little bit of both. And I think when we accept that, then we cannot make ourselves so wrong mm -hmm. around it. We can say, oh, yep, some of that is my wiring. Some of it is the way that I've learned. And then we can not act on instinct and act on our conscious mind, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Absolutely. And there was a book I read that it wasn't a research or study on the amygdala specifically, but it was a research on connection and how we thrive in community. We thrive in feeling connected and, and you know, wa want it. We want to be seen, heard, and understood. And the community that they researched, that they had much longer statistically significant longer lifespans on average than those of us who aren't part of a community and aren't connected. And so I think there is a little bit of it in, of it in our wiring where it's just a basic need that, you know, we do want to be liked. However, then there becomes this, I think at some point, maybe a tipping point or a threshold, I don't know, but of falling into more of the toxic patterns of people pleaser with mm -hmm. out boundaries. It was a sponge to everything in our life. And I'm curious if you've experienced that people pleasing within your own life. And then also how do we start to find the balance between, yes, I acknowledge I'm a human and I need connection. And, you know, part of me does want to be liked or to, to give, because it also feels good to give to the world. But then yeah. when does that become, you know, a toxic pattern that then is sabotaging, betraying yourself, burning you out, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, a hundred percent have I lived in people pleasing sponge energy <laughs> for many, many years. And what helped me shift was I had to learn the cost of not having those boundaries because it was the way I was. It was the way I saw the world. I didn't, I had to unfortunately suffer enough discomfort in my life to say, Hey, if you continue to show up in this way, this is how it might impact your health. This is how it might impact your work. And so those, and I don't believe we all have to hit rock bottom, but leveraging the discomfort of where we are now mm -hmm. and saying, what will happen if I continue on in this way? And so over time, I raised my bar for the amount of discomfort that I could tolerate. Because for a lot of us who are empaths and highly sensitive and maybe on the codependent spectrum, we can tolerate a lot of discomfort. We're, we're resilient, we're adaptable, but that's not always to our benefit. So I had yeah. to learn to have a lower threshold for discomfort and relationships in my life and slowly do the very tedious, painful work of setting those boundaries and tolerating the discomfort from the boundaries. Um, yeah. And one big thing, I mean, I'm a therapist, okay? An empath whose job it was <laughs> to talk about the most difficult things. And, and, and people like me are going to likely be the best at that because we have empathy because we're not, you know, tuning out to someone's nuances and, and someone feels like you're right there with them. But what I had to learn and 
the blessing of my job and my career path that taught me is that me being present to and me wearing and ingesting and consuming that energy are two different things. And so the way that I stopped my people pleasing is one, I realized that I believe in everybody else's inherent ability to take care of their lives. And when I was operating in that energy, I was not honoring that. I was saying, I could do it for you, or I could have a solution, or if only I just take on everything that you're doing, it's going to help you. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't. It, think about it. Anybody who is in their wisest, healthiest self is not going to want somebody else to step into a place of pain to serve them. Yeah. You serve from your own energy. And so, I mean, answering both of your questions about like, have I been there? Yes. How did I get out? I learned to raise my bar for discomfort. And two, I also just learned my, I was saying this on another podcast the other day, but my therapist would be like, Oh, is Lone Ranger Tiffany coming out? Does she have her like mask and her cape? And is she flying around trying to like help all the people of the random city she has, you know, stepped into? And I just learned that this, like, I can help by believing in someone's inherent ability to do it for themselves. And, and, and I have a spiritual belief and I've, I've learned, I want people to walk out with a faith in their higher power and in their own ability, not with me, because anything that's outside of ourselves is vulnerable. So I had to re- learn to res- be a respecter of other people, even when they were doing things that I thought could improve. Yeah. And that goes a lot into releasing control. And yes. I know I have had my own what has felt like a battle at many times. I have fought it and I have kicked and screamed and cried about it because control felt comforting and control felt safe. And gosh, it has taken a lot to unweave that stickiness and how safe and comforting it felt and to really see that it it was an illusion and that there's like freedom outside of control, but it really brought up a lot of shadow for me personally. And I, I haven't, I wouldn't say I've completely let go of control of all things in my life, but I've definitely been on the journey and I have been able to at least pull apart some of the stickiness. And I find so many people right now in the context of the world are being asked to do the same thing, release, fucking control. So do you have your own journey with that? And how do you guide people through releasing control and maybe even just seeing control through a different lens? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I love that you use the word illusion. And I think that is what we are waking up to is some of the perceived control that we had, Mm -hmm. some of the perceived safety that we had. Um, because I think we're meeting the reality of, and I've said this a lot, but the fragility of this life, the fragility of our human bodies. And, and it's scary for those of us who have done our best to, you know, put fingers on everything that we can and can, and control the things we can. And, and so control is an illusion other than what you do have control over, which is very few things, but they are very powerful things. Thank you, God. (laughs) And that's what we think and what we do. And like you said, does it mean that you dismantled all semblance of control in your life? No, because that wouldn't necessarily lead to a responsible life. 
So we learn to take control of what we can and we learn to release what we can't. Take responsibility and release. Take responsibility and release. And I believe that is how we co-create in this world. I think that is how we learn to have agency and surrender. And I think that is that uh, paradox that all of life is. And so I think what's happening right now is bringing all of that up. Um, And it's happening for everyone that I talk to. All of the things that we value or the things that we were using to try to control feelings or numb out or get our needs met are up for grabs now. And we're renegotiating who we are, what we believe, what's of value to us. And that can feel very scary and uncertain because control gives us the illusion of certainty, right? And I think naturally when you go through the journey of releasing control, at least in some areas of your life, the parts that are an illusion to begin with, that very naturally fear then rustles up underneath it. And it goes, okay, so you're going to get rid of this. Awesome. You're liberating yourself. Wait, no, there's fear underneath that. And there's just... I think there's also so many things that feed into that emotion of fear that we see in media and in our external environment. And so how do we cultivate this internal safety or this internal love that combats the fear of either releasing control and then on top of that, what we're being kind of fed by the world? Yeah, I think it's like if we don't create our own values and create our own anchor, the world will come in and give you its values and it will tell you what you should be tethered to and what you should value. And so I really, I believe, and I know everyone who's on this call, like we we hear these things about like connecting to our truth and taking time to tune in and being careful of what we consume. But especially for those of us who, who are the feelers of the world, like I have had to heal and to create the most well life. I've had to be vigilant at the door of my mind and at the door of my life and be constantly assessing whether something serves me, whether it's a, you know, depleter or whether it's a withdrawal or a deposit. And, and the more that I, and, and ultimately I think what this comes down to is all of us wrestling with what we what we believe to be true about this life and what we value, what our, what our faith is, what, what we believe in love, we believe in community, we believe in good over evil, whatever it might be. And then we have to do the work of living in alignment with that. Because when we are, when we are aware of our values and we are living in alignment, we are flexing those muscles, those muscles are stronger. So that when we hear the noise from the world and the noise from the news, we can say, yep, that's, that sounds scary, but this is what I believe to be true about life. Mm-hmm. I'm powerless over a lot, but how I show up and how I love, and I'm going to do that, and I'm going to be in alignment with that. And that gives us that sense of strength. Mm-hmm. A lot of what I say I'm doing is helping people build emotional resilience. It's like the analogy I use is say you've been doing, you've been working on your fitness and you get, you've been working on your abs, and then you get onto like, ice in the winter time and all of a sudden you slip your abs engage and you balance yourself we want to have that kind of emotional resilience and muscle connected to our values connected to our truths in our mental and emotional health 
so that when life does get hard, we have strength to meet it. And I think a lot of us have not maybe been using, working those muscles. And here we are faced with something that came out of nowhere is rocking our worlds. Mm-hmm. And we, we get the opportunity to get down to basics, to build that muscle, to know what's true for us. Yeah. So that's the thing that allows us, I think, to put on our armor of truth and block out a lot of the noise. That emotional resilience and the confidence in the anchors that you've laid or in yourself, your belief system, what you stand for, I think is so helpful in also navigating the triggers that come up. And mm-hmm. I see a lot of triggers surfacing also during this time, especially in relationships, because you might be spending more time with someone or noticing something about somebody that normally you're just not around each other so much. And so I'd love for you to speak on how we navigate triggers and what your stance is on when we are triggered in our life. Yeah. I mean, it's such a, like a therapy thing to say, but <laughs> the trigger is the opportunity, right? Um, I have not grown a super whole lot from feeling great. I wish, uh, I wish that was the case, but I haven't. My greatest growth has been the pain point and getting curious about it. Mm. So we get a trigger, we have a story and, it, and the trigger is usually a story, right? Because we all have the the stimulus in the environment. We watch something, we see something, something occurs. And then even if it's, you know, in the flash of a second, our brain creates a story about it. And then the story is what creates our feeling. And the feeling is what creates our action. And again, we talked about the only things that we have control over are, you know, what we think. And, And our first thought doesn't matter. That's the one thing that I, especially all the years I worked with people, helping them heal addictions, they'd freak out because they thought about using. So what? If, if every thought that I thought was valid, I'd be locked up somewhere. It's not, it's not, our brain just shoots off information. It's, and we have the opportunity to say, ah, don't like that thought. I'm going to, you know, redirect it and have a different, you know, response. And, and that is how we meet a trigger and actually get data from it mm-hmm. and heal. I always think the wave that crashes on your shore is, is the one that you're meant to meet. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, what's up for me? Get curious. We get curious about people we love. We want to be curious about ourselves. Mm-hmm. What's what's this about? What's the story that I'm telling? Is that true? Is that kind? Is that necessary? Um, am I am I being really honest with this thought? Am I seeing things as they really are? No worse, no better. Um, and how can I reframe it? And that is hard work. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I was working on healing my anxiety and codependency ten years ago, this was like daily, all day long kind of work. Mm -hmm. Um, But the great part about doing this work on your triggers is that every little microscopic moment of healing adds up and then you're building resilience and you're building a relationship with yourself that you're going to meet your own needs. And this is the, this is what everything I have, every good thing in my life is built on. Yeah. It's, such, it's a more empowering way to look at triggers because I think oftentimes when we are not as conscious of our thought patterns or trying to just wake ourselves up to our, our habits and our ways of reacting to things in the world, that sometimes triggers can just spiral us down into shame, embarrassment, anger, this lower vibration. Whereas I'm on 
on board with what you said around, even though it is a very therapy thing to say that, you know, they are a gift. They're an opportunity. I had a woman on talking about childhood trauma and she's like, these are treasures for us to be able to use to grow and to become more self-actualized actualized, and more self-aware and to realize what is the deeper thing going on underneath this trigger? Because it's not usually just about what is on the surface of the trigger, but underneath there's so much information that we can use for deep, deep healing. Yeah. And to, and to have more joy every time we meet that side of the spectrum of emotions, we open up our ability to feel more joy and love and peace and contentment and all the good stuff. And, Mm -hmm. and the thing about triggers is I think what I've just seen collectively is that it's the idea that if I meet this pain, I will crumble. But what we know to be true is we crumble when we don't meet the pain. Um, meeting the pain and the and the the research sort of sort of shows you meet the emotion, and if you really feel it, it takes about ninety seconds to move through to pass. Mm-hmm. Anything that's continual now that's different than than if we are like activated by in a flashback or something related to PTSD, but a a raw emotion when we allow it to pass and we do the work to ground ourselves and we watch our thoughts because the thoughts can either take what you're feeling and continue it Mm -hmm. or they can take what you're feeling and transform it. Mm -hmm. And so those thoughts are, and like you said, when we're first starting off, like my brain was like, it was rogue. It would just go off. Like I hadn't learned how to harness it and how to yeah. say, ah, we're not going there. We ain't thinking that thought, sweetheart, because that doesn't make you feel good. Mm-hmm. Um, but the more you do it, it's like baby little one pound weights at first. And now I'm bench pressing, you know, a whole lot <laughs> and it is, it's a muscle. Mm-hmm. And then your brain responds the more that you, and you have trust with yourself. I'm so excited to share one of the show's new partners and sponsors. Let's get checked. Recently, as many of you who follow me on social media know, I I really didn't have any other choice but to go on a chemotherapy drug called methotrexate. And one of the side effects of that drug, one of the results of that drugs is that it depletes your folate levels in your body. And so I was super, super grateful for being able to go to Let's Get Checked. And most of their tests are under $100. They get shipped right to your door. You prick your finger. It takes a second to get enough blood into the vial. But once you're done, you just you twist the cap on, pop it in the mail, and you get results within five days. Not only do you get the results, but you also get uh, your results interpreted by one of their clinicians as well. And because my folate was so depleted, I thought this is a perfect time to get a folate test to see like where I was brought down to, what level I was brought down down to, and how much I need to replenish my body of folate. But there's also tests for sexual health, including STD tests, for women's health on your ovarian reserve, your female hormones. There's vitamin tests, thyroid tests, the folate test I just mentioned, liver tests, cholesterol. Another really helpful one for many of you who have experience with chronic illness is a C-reactive protein test, which is going to level measure your your inflammation levels in your body. And I'm just really excited to be able to bring this to you because it's such an accessible way, especially for those of you who aren't around uh, practitioners, doctors, uh, offices that are necessarily close or easy to access or maybe affordable. 
Let's Get Checks provides this experience where you can make sure that you're getting professional health testing that's easily accessible and ensure that you don't ever have to put off a test due to not wanting to or being able to visit a healthcare provider ever again. So I have a discount code for you. The code is empath and that code gets you 20% off any of the tests on letsgetchecked.com. Again, that's letsgetchecked.com and code empath. All right, let's get back to the episode. You've mentioned the codependency spectrum and also that you used to work with people with addiction. And I personally see a lot of overlap between empaths, addiction, and codependency. Have you also witnessed that in your work? Yeah, hands down. Um, You know, that codependent narcissist dynamic, that codependent um, addict, I don't don't like to say that word, person with an addiction dynamic, uh, person-centered language. Um, it's, it's like if we are the person who has learned to be, and it's normalized for us to be in the excessive caretaking position, we're going to meet someone in a room full of 10,000 people, a healthy 10,000 people. We're going to find the one person who we think we can fix and we think we can help. And, and so I think those uh, trauma bonds, whatever you want to call them, those patterns dovetail until we learn, um, to expect reciprocity, to not, you know, make more deposits than with, than someone else's. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's such a, and these are things we, for many people learned in families, if we have addictive, you know, family systems, we learn to take care, take, we learn that our safety was in our ability to pivot and read the room. And there's so much there. Yeah. But the beautiful thing is, there's so much known about these dynamics. There's so much information. There's so many thought leaders um, who help us all learn how to heal these patterns. And we, we don't have to operate on the operating system. I, I always say it's like, you know, iOS 14.0 is available right now. And a lot of us are just operating on 2.5, which we downloaded, you know, once upon a time. And we can just upgrade our operating system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what does the codependency spectrum actually look like? Or what are the different little tick points along that spectrum? Yeah. Well, the, the, the best book that I recommend for people on the subject is Codependent No More by Melody Beattie. And chapter four is a laundry list of uh, behaviors and patterns. It's, it's a whole chapter. So there's a ton, but just, you know, in a nutshell, I think codependency is the, the attempt to get your meet needs met by excessively meeting the needs of someone else to the point of self-abandonment. So if we think about codependency as just a, a different type of addiction, an addiction to the person you're in relationship with, an uh, external locus of control. Like if, if you're meeting my needs, I'm okay. If you are happy with me, I'm okay. I'm doing everything in my power, leaving myself on a consistent basis, you know, abandoning my happiness, abandoning what my well being. what they found in addiction literature is there's this thing called the Jelnick curve that describes the sort of progression of the illness and it, you know, and how people can bottom out and then come up in recovery. And what they've watched with people with uh, codependency, they, they travel the exact same healing journey as someone who's navigating addiction. Um, 
so yeah, any of those cluster, you know, symptoms of uh, leaving yourself and your own well-being for the needs of others, mm-hmm. uh, I think call and and that's there's a difference between dependency interdependency, which is what we talked about in the beginning, mm-hmm. which is what we all need and want, and it's connection and community, but it's not self-abandonment, right? And I the way I see it is that empaths because they are such a sponge or can be such a sponge the world the world can really really feel overwhelming and so to me it's natural in some sense even if it's not the healthiest route but it seems like a natural route to want to either numb out from the world through things like substance abuse or to project out and and like not have to be in our body sometime. And instead, let me just take care of you and let me abandon myself because what I'm feeling is super fucking overwhelming. And that actually feels easier, even though it, you know, is not maybe the healthiest thing for me at the end of the day, it might feel actually like a good coping method in the moment. Yeah. And codependency has this like funky little, like, I, I, we hide under the guise of benevolence too. It's like, Hey, like I'm such a good person I'm doing for you. And, and yet it's an attempt to control. It's an attempt to manipulate the dynamic to be enough in order to receive. And, and I, and so I I do, but getting back to what you just said, I really do agree with you. Mm -hmm. And this is what I would say to those of, you who are listening, who find yourself in that dynamic, who find yourself perhaps using behaviors or chemicals or whatever it might be to numb. And this is what I would say to all of the people that I worked with in addiction for a decade. The need you're trying to meet isn't wrong. It's absolutely normal to want to take a break and get a reprieve. And it's necessary and it's of utmost importance that you do it to maintain your vitality. But we want to look for coping skills that don't have additional consequences to costs. And those are just some of the ever-present, ready-made society serves it up to you on a platter of like, here you go, you can just get high and you can just do this and you can just do that. But when you come back from those things, you can often have a consequence. So for, if those of you who are listening are feeling like I, I find the ways to check out that when you come back, you have a deposit in your bank, mm-hmm. you know, numb out in nature, mm-hmm. you know, chill out on Netflix for a couple hours, get lost in, you know, music or whatever it is, but the thing that doesn't, that doesn't cause consequences. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it makes you vulnerable to some of those addictive patterns mm-hmm. for sure. Absolutely. And I do think it also takes, like you were just talking about before, like flexing that, the abs, right? And like yes. building that muscle to then rewire the brain in a new habitual pattern that allows us to get some deposits in the bank without having to, you know, withdraw five and only get two at the end of the day. And yep. so this also makes so much sense naturally that especially codependent empaths would attract narcissists into their life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. It's like, it's a, a lint that just gets drawn to you, you know, and sticks. And, and that is why that groundedness that keep talking about that anchor being dropped is really so critical because all of these behaviors, when we 
when we become a sponge, we've left ourselves Mm -hmm. and we've gone into someone else's reality. When we become codependent, we are living and meeting someone else's needs who is not meeting their own. And we are expecting our needs to get met. We've, we've pulled up our anchor and our boat is drifting. So for, for us to heal, for us to build these muscles, we have to learn what it feels like to be in us. And that's obsession gives us distraction. So when we are obsessing about someone else's feelings, when we are obsessing about the pain of the world, when we are obsessing about our partners, we are leaving ourselves. And the more that we can learn to be at home in here and meet our own needs and take a break when we need it and build emotional muscle, the less we want to leave and the less we need obsession to distract. I deeply resonate to that. I have a form of OCD or OCD like tendencies where it is a compulsion and it is like this obsession and it's dermatillomania and it's skin picking. It's something I've shared on social media and a little bit in the podcast before, but it was, I, I couldn't, I don't know why I just started doing that. Like I, I couldn't logically be like, this is why I chose to do this. My I just needed to numb out. And I'm starting, mm-hmm. I, I've started to realize that very much so. And I, I've done a lot of hypnosis and like major healing on it to where now it, it very rarely happens. However, it still does come up sometimes. And it used to be mortifying. It was so embarrassing that I would even do that. But I was obsessing to distract myself. Yeah. Because being yeah. in my human body was hard. And there was a lot of things I didn't want to confront and that it felt easier to escape. And I've had to forgive myself for, you know, like, yeah, of course. Not even forgive. Like that was just our best effort to meet our needs. We're just trying to do the best thing that we can. Yeah. And I was just, just trying, I mean, just trying to get by and there was so much going on and I would get so angry with myself after I did it. Like, why the hell did you just do that? But I hadn't really developed the strength, the courage, the awareness to sit in my pain because I was still so afraid of what existed in that container of being in the pain. And at some point I said, I can't, this is clearly not serving me. Going back to our emotional bank account, it was taking out way more coins than I, than I was putting in. Right then I'd feel like shit afterwards. And then I have these marks on my skin that wouldn't go away in 20 minutes or even a day. And so I had to, you know, I realized that, that this is not serving me. This is taking more than it's giving me. Oh, so maybe I should just sit in this pain for a little while and see what kind of energetic exchange happens there. Maybe it's not as bad as I thought, or I I'm currently thinking maybe it's not as scary. And in it's still uncomfortable like it's there's no way around oh, it. it's not pleasant <laughs> but i've been leaning into that more and more and it's taking practice but i've been leaning in more and more and more until eventually i'm more comfortable with myself not being perfect all the time and or being quote fine all the time and instead i giving myself permission that i did not used to give to myself to just be however I am and not try to goes back to control as well. Try to control everything I'm feeling and the way I feel and the way I look and all this bullshit that was so exhausting and instead just be 
a human who has all this, this like range of emotions. And at the same time, like I haven't, you know, I haven't mastered it. It's still going through it as a human being. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I mean, Deepak will say he hasn't felt anger in 30 years. I don't know. I mean, good for him, but I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a therapist and a teacher and I have hope. I don't think you master emotions. I don't think you master coping. I think you, again, back to this conversation of control, I think you learn to surf the waves of your life Mm -hmm. and you learn to give yourself as much grace as you can and you get, you strengthen the muscles and that faith and that resilience and and then you have you are armed with tools and supports to meet whatever big wave, whatever calm seas come. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I love that grace that you've been able to extend yourself because I, I I can definitely relate, and I'm sure so many people can resonate with this. But that perfectionism that shows up in codependency and and that that pleasing and that can then be translated to our healing, mm-hmm. where we're like. I should have a breakthrough. I should be healed by now. I've gone to therapy for this long and this, and then we're leaving ourselves to in that way and not just being um, with whatever it is as imperfect as it is. And I think that it takes a lot of courage, but yeah, I think for most people, and believe me, I've worked with thousands of people at this point um, and do it in a safe way, do it with safe people, do it with right providers. Mm-hmm. But uh, I've never had anyone regret doing the work. Yeah. As, dis- as uncomfortable as it can be, as, a- as you know, painful as the moment can feel, mm-hmm. everyone I've worked with has felt relief in some way, shape, or form on the other side. Yeah. And not just with me, but their own the worker, you know, right. with healers. Um, and it, it, we all yeah, have it kind of courage. Go oh, sorry. It all takes, it takes us all a different point to then say, yeah. I want to change this. We hit different, it, I mean, it doesn't have to be rock bottom. I think that's a really common term we use, but it doesn't have to be a rock bottom. But we just all hit, I think, maybe different levels of discomfort that make us go, all right, now I want to change. And so I'm also curious to know from you, Tiffany, how do we start to like, lay those anchors? That's a really great analogy mm-hmm. I love that you used. And also to be more present with ourselves. And through that presence, reclaim some of our power. Where, where, would, where would you start? I know it's multifaceted and different for each person, but do you have any advice? Yeah, I think you start exactly where you are. So in my coaching, I don't create like, I meet people right where they are. And people will come to me and be like, I want the plan and the program and what are we going to attack? And I said, your life is going to serve up. And it always happens, never fails. Your life will serve up what is present for you. What is the wave crashing on your shore that is meant for you to meet now? So all you have to do is scan your day. Where do I, where are their pain points? Where is their discord? Where do I find myself leading myself? Where is my witching hour where I come home and, I, and I've had such a long day of being present and emoting and I find myself numbing out and eating my feelings or I find Sunday nights are really, really tough for me because I'm on social media comparing my life to other people or where, where is the disconnect occurring and then meet it, get curious about it. So what am I, what's the need I'm trying to meet? What am I trying to do here? Okay, if the need is never wrong and it never is, mm-hmm. how 
is this serving me the way I'm meeting it? Is there a different way that I could scratch that itch that wouldn't um, cause this kind of consequence? So I, I really believe it's, so, it's simply turning to what is right now um, and that your life will give you that information. Yeah, absolutely. Just want to say thank you so much for sharing with us today. And I just want to check in, tap in to see if there's anything else coming to the surface of your heart or your mind that you'd like to share with listeners before we start to wrap up. No, I think just what comes forward is like, and as someone who is, I don't even want to say on the other side, because again, you're never on the other side of this, but who has experienced a certain degree of healing in her own life is is not waiting for now. It's, it's like my life was occurring all along and everything was perfect. And we can, no matter how overwhelmed or how masterful you feel, we can always just choose more kindness and more compassion. Like even as we're talking about it, obviously, you know, the feelings come up and I think about how I used to feel compared to how I do now. Mm-hmm. And all that comes forward is compassion, compassion for myself for doing the best that I could and for having the courage each day to try to do the best that I could to change. So the thing that comes forward for me to share is just, I love that we're all on this call. I love that we're all on this healing journey together and just remember compassion and grace and kindness is always, always, always the answer when you're struggling. The the thing you need is always something kind. (laughs) It's never, it's never something harsh. Um, so that, I guess that's what's coming forward for me is just think reflecting back and feeling a lot of compassion for my younger self. Absolutely. I feel that as well. And I think you also gave us a really good reminder today that never have the people you worked with regretted taking that time to, to do the work and to do the healing. And there's so much that we can unlock when we say yes to the opportunity, say yes to being held in a container or even going on our own self-discovery journey, because there's you know many ways that we can do this, many pathways we can take to get there. But I found the same in the people that I've worked with and myself as well. Like, never do I regret doing that work and showing up for myself in a really powerful way. So, again, thank you yeah. so much for being here, Tiffany. Where can people learn more about you and connect with you? Um, Tiffany dot Louise on Instagram and Tiffany Um, those are places. If you want to come say hi and connect, I'm happy to meet you there. Yeah. Well, it was so good connecting with you and meeting you today. Again, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having these beautiful conversations. You all know that the Uncensored Empath Podcast is part of a network produced by Soulfire Productions, and this is an amazing group of podcast hosts, and we're growing. There's more podcast hosts coming into this community. We have masterminds every month, and it's just a supportive, supportive place to be able to learn from each other and to grow. So today I want to take a hot second to tell you about Christina Rice and her show Wellness Realness. She is also part of the network and most recently she's had guests on and talked herself about topics like mold and mycotoxin illness, about building confidence, about collagen for healing and 
healing from chronic mystery illnesses through dietary changes and leaning into spirituality. So I know that so many of you are so on board with so many of these topics that I want to make sure you know how to find Christina. Her show, Wellness Realness, publishes episodes every Monday and Thursday on Apple Podcasts, and it is your go-to show for a no BS approach to all things wellness related. Thanks for tuning in today's episode. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Tiffany. I have something brand new for you. I've been listening to so much music lately. And in the bathtub, I turn on my my Spotify playlist. And when I'm doing my work, I listen to my Spotify playlist. And then I have dance parties and I listen to just music that moves and soothes my soul. And I was listening to all of this music and I was sharing some songs with you guys on, on Instagram and social media. And so many of you asked, what are you listening to? And uh, can you make a playlist for us? So I've been putting together this empath healing playlist and it is done. It is created. It is free for all of you. All you got to do is email me, Sarah at the uncensored empath.com. And I am super excited to share this empath healing playlist with you. All right. I'll see you in the next episode. <laughs>